I just wanted to give on behalf of the elders just a brief word uh, for what we're going through. Again, uh, wow, what a week. <laughs> if you watch the news for five seconds, you're, you know, you're ready to build a fort and hide therein. Um, but just a couple words. First of all, this, by God's grace, Cross Point Community Church, we are not going to panic. It's not a time for panic. Um, as we've already mentioned several times through the service, as we indicated in every single song we sang, God is still sovereign. This can be assumed, uh, not assumed, this, this is dynamically affirmed in the scriptures. And this can be translated even to the current events and what's happening with coronavirus. Nothing, and we can assure ourselves of this, that absolutely nothing in the last month and a half has taken God by surprise. He's not looking at this thinking, oh dear, what has happened to my world? We have a God that by His grace and His mercy is working things, and we may not see the full picture yet. We see little brush, brush strokes, but our prayer is that we can step back and see that God's painting on a canvas that is so much broader than we can even hope or imagine. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not a time for us to panic. Another resolve that we um, consider as an elder team is this. Not only are we not going to panic, we are going to pray diligently, and that's our call as, uh, that's the call for the entire church and the inter entire Christian community here in Redding, California and around the world. Pray diligently. Seek God's face in this time of need. We are going, we're not going to panic. We are going to pray diligently. We are going to serve fearlessly. Please understand that. Our prayer is that God would give us grace to find ways to serve through history, the Christian community are the ones on the front lines serving through times of plague and pandemic. Let that be us. Find ways to serve and to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, looking for every opportunity to share Christ's love with each other to a world who desperately needs Christ. We're going to pray diligently. We're going to serve fearlessly. We're going to continue to walk wisely discerningly. What do I mean? God's given us a brain to think for a reason. A lot of elbow bumps today. I'm going home with like withdrawals today. All my church hugs that I love every single Sunday. Please don't be offended if you do not receive a pastoral hug this morning. But we, uh, we're going to maximize our hygiene around here. And uh, Jim's on the front page with his spray bottle of the newspaper. Maximize our hygiene and, and minimize physical contact as best we can. I know you can't resist that urge sometimes. It's just, and then you're like caught three quarters of the weight. You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, yeah, we're doing it anyway. Shake hands hard. As best we can, we're going to minimize that. You can't do that entirely. But uh, by God's grace, we're going to do that in a very practical way. We're going to discernly take this one week at a time. Um, we're not going to call any shots for two or three weeks from now. We're going to just analyze what's happening this week. Um, the other thing is to lovingly protect our body, uh, our congregation here. There is a, a good number of, of gracious, 
servants of God that are elderly. And we want to do our best to uh, navigate through these concerns with them. And so we're going to take it one week at a time. Uh, we're, this particular week, we're actually going to call off our Wednesday night events at the church, the, the Awana, the study we have, the mealtime, the teen group. Uh, we're going to not do anything on the campus Wednesday. Now, 15, I think we have something like 15 small or life groups that meet regularly. Praise God for that. We're not going to call the shots for all of those as an elder team. What we want to do is encourage you to reach out to your life group leaders. Why? Because each one of those groups is made up of a different demographic, uh, different age group, uh, different location. Some of them are larger life groups, other than smaller life groups. Uh, the Bible studies, some of them meet here on church on campus, other meet in home. We're going to let you reach out to your life group or your small group leader on that one. Um, and, and life group, small group leaders are in t- contact with us as an elders team if they need uh, discernment on that. Uh, for instance, tonight, our young, young couple life group will meet at our house. Uh, there's a hand, uh, handful of couples that meet. We'll, we'll still meet at our house tonight. If, if, if that's something God's laid on your heart, the house will be open. We're going to get together for some fun, some laughter, some study and prayer. Um, other life groups are meeting tonight as well. So reach out to your life group leaders on that. We're not going to call the shots for the entire church in regard to that. Um, I think... I think that's about it. To recap, we're not going to panic. We're going to pray diligently. We're going to serve fearlessly. We're going to continue to maximize hygiene, minimize contact, and we're going to discerningly take one week at a time. And through all of this, let us pray. Please pray for wisdom and grace as we navigate through this as a leadership team and and what this is going to look like for our church here, Cross Point Community Church, and the other churches in our community. Let us faithfully pray for them as well. I was reminded of this. My brother Grant sent me this the other day. There's a couple songs that just go through my mind all the time. This is one, uh, the blessed brother George Beverly Shea used to sing this out with all he had. He used to sing this, in times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And here it is. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Let's pray that we can present that to a needy world around us. That we can hold to that as a congregation, as a body. And let's jump back into Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 this morning, Uh, if you have been gone for some time or if you're visiting with us this morning, you can turn your hand out over and you can kind of see where we've been through the book all the way now to chapter 4. As we've gone through this book, we've highlighted several very dynamic themes. Uh, These themes show up in chapters, but they also work their way all the way through the book and we've learned a lot and God has taught us so much about these things, gospel transformed living. The gospel is not just something that, that, that allows us, the good news is not just something about us becoming a child of God, receiving this gift of salvation. It is something that carries us all the way through the journey of sanctification. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've learned a lot about gospel-transformed living. We've learned a lot about unity in diversity through humility. 
unity and humility. And the key example of all of that is who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Philippians chapter 2. We've learned a lot so far on this journey about true joy in the Lord. True joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. This joy is not based on outer circumstances. This joy is based on an inner satisfaction and a conviction that God Almighty is in control of all things. This joy in the Lord. The last two weeks, as we've traveled into, started to jump into chapter 4, we saw this imperative, stand firm in the Lord, and then we kind of unpacked that a little bit. Stand firm as we graciously, or as as we embrace a gracious approach to life and ministry. Uh, Nothing noble about entering into gospel ministry with an abrasive, angry attitude. (laughs) Ready to bite someone's head off. Be gracious. Let your gentleness be made known to all people, all men. Why? Here's the reason. The Lord is at hand. He is present. When we think about this imperative, we realize as we've talked very very clearly, when we stand firm in the Lord and in this idea of grace, we hold strong to the, through the, to the dynamic essential doctrines of our faith. We're talking about our, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the glory of Christ being the motivation for everything we do. We're talking about the Trinity, the virgin birth of Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, the deity of the Trinity. These are things we hold to very strongly to. And then as we walk through these things in practical ministry, this is where... We stand fast with that mindset of grace and kindness in the body of Christ in the community in which we live. We continued on last week. As we stand firm, choose to turn anxieties into prayers. So how'd you do with that one this week? Turning your anxieties into prayers. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what is the dynamic promise that will lead us and guide us into every day of every week? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And here's how it's all grounded, as as typical of this entire book and the entire New Testament and the entire scriptures. It is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that carries us on to this key idea today. As we stand firm in the Lord, we must embrace God's value system for intended peace. As we stand firm in the Lord, verse 1 of chapter 4, stand firm in the Lord. And then we have a series of imperatives that that flow really from this thought. Stand firm in the Lord. And now we're coming down to verses 8 and 9. As we stand firm in the Lord, we must embrace God's value system for intended peace. I can't think of a better week to walk through this passage. (laughs) Honestly. Just watching things unfold. Daring to turn the news on for 10 minutes. And just watch all this stuff happening and trying to watch from different perspectives and think, what is happening? But more, more importantly, I, I just had to think, as I'm processing this passage in my mind, thinking about what I'm seeing regularly, what am I talking about? This. Everyone walking around with filters over their faces. Masks. 
What are we talking about? Filtration systems, suits, containment units, location bands, number bands, travel bands, quarantines, lockdowns. We're, I mean, here's the fact. Our world around us is going to amazing lengths to protect ourselves physically. And I don't want to make this overly complicated this morning. All of this stuff happening to protect ourselves physically. But then I, just very practically, I want us to think beyond this physical body, this shell we carry. What about the spiritual life within us? What about the special care we are taking to protect the intended peace that God has us to live in? What precautions are we taking to live in this peace What filtration system are we using? What filters are in place in my life right now to allow for spiritual health and enjoyment of the peace of God? What am I doing right now? More more than that, what is God doing right now to protect that peace in my life? Well, praise God, he answers that question in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. So can we read this together? Finally, brothers, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things just real quickly. What has he just done? He's created a filtration system for our spiritual lives. This is essentially a dynamic mask over our spiritual lives to help us enjoy the peace of God. It continues on in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. As we stand firm in the Lord... We must embrace God's value system for intended peace. So let's let's do this this morning. Let's just start with this concept of intended peace. Like, how did you get that? Where did that come in? Well, it's it's directly from the text. This, I mean, the last phrase. If we remember the last phrase of verse 9. Notice the last phrase in verse 9. The peace of God will be with you. The peace of God. We're talking not as much in this passage about a, right, about a right standing with God, a peace that comes from a right standing with God. We're talking about very practical assurance that God is in control, a comfort that comes from living a life secure in Christ Jesus. This peace that happens, the peace of God, an inner assurance that God is in control and he is directing my life. The peace of God will be with you. Actually, it says the God of peace will be with you, and that comes right after this, verse 7. If you remember what we talked about last week, what does verse 7 say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what's the point? Couched in these concepts of the peace of God and the God of peace is this idea that here's how you're going to stay in the peace of God. Here's what's going to guard your heart and keep you dwelling in this dynamic peace from God. The 
peace of God will be with you. If we truly want to enjoy this God of peace and the peace of God, we better consider a viable filtration system in our spiritual walk. I really believe in a very practical way that's what Paul is saying here. In our daily sanctification, what filtration system has the Spirit of God blessed us with to remain in the peace of God? All right, let's just think very practically. How many filters are in your life in a physical way? Um, we live out between here and Palisadro off a dirt road, and we have a small pool in our backyard. We have learned that the pool is not so fun to swim in with all the dust the wind and the trees with billions of leaves that make their way, every single one of them, into the pool. But we've learned it's not so fun in those hot, redding days to jump in a pool that's slimy and green and brown. Not as fun, Dad. Let's clean that thing out. So the, the much... The much more advantageous thing for us to do in those hot days is to look and to see a nice blue pool. It's just a small pool, blue pool that you can dump in and be refreshed. Not a green pool, Dad. Not a brown pool. Those crawly things at the bottom. So how do we clean that? Well, ironically enough, there are three filters in the system. There's a vacuum that runs the bottom of this thing. After a couple hours of work filtering all of this water, going through one filter, headed to another filter, headed to a bigger filter, and cycling it back in, we now have a blue pool. Much more enjoyable. That's just a ridiculous illustration. Nonetheless, it's very practical in how life happens. It's much more enjoyable to jump into this pool. It's a much more peaceful scenario when it's a clean pool. Okay, this week I had the wonderful privilege of taking our car in for the 70,000 mile uh, maintenance. Um, I took it over here and I, I, I work on our own, most of our own vehicle stuff, but this particular vehicle has a lot of, of, of things that need to be taken care of at the 70,000 mark. I took it to the shop. This guy goes through the, the whole list of things that need to happen at the 70,000 mark. And I tell you, there were 3,000 filters in that vehicle. Joking, obviously, but you had oil filter change, obviously, change the oil. Air filter change. Cabin filter. What is that? This thing's got a cabin filter? It's a a diesel. It's one of those um, Jetta diesels, and so it has other filters involved in it. And all of that, it's the time to change out your fuel filter. What? It's running fine. Well, look at all that, and a lot of it is preventive maintenance, exactly what that is. I'm changing out the filters so that the car will run at its intended performance level. It's intended to drive smoothly. Have you ever tried to drive a vehicle where the fuel filter was all gummed up and hardly functioning? You're just like, the whole way. Ridiculous illustrations. Those are both illustrations that prove to us that there's intended activities in our life. These activities are intended to be enjoyed. A nice clean pool, a well-functioning car, and there are filters built into the system to help us enjoy those items. Filters in our lives. So that's not too far off of how we should view this passage. What's the intended blue pool of the scriptures? The enjoyment level of our walk with God It is peace with God and the God of peace. 
What is a finely tuned vehicle running without skipping all over the place and and barely starting in our spiritual lives? It is a life that enjoys the peace of God and a God of peace. In a very practical way, this passage shows us these filters in our lives to help us function according to the peace of God and the God of peace. So if you're ready with me, let's just walk through these multifaceted filters in a very practical way. Starting with, with this. We must embrace God's filter system through filtered thoughts. How do we think? Paul starts off this, finally, brothers, basically in conclusion, this is a little different sense than the one we found earlier in the text, halfway through the book. This is actually finality, coming into a conclusion. He's about to share the two imperatives in a series of of, of imperatives that come from verse 1, stand firm, and he's sharing these imperatives that flow from this one. He's coming to the end of this series of imperatives, and he says, finally, brothers, again, I love this, it's not foreign, brothers. What's Paul doing here in a very amazing way? He's identifying with them. You're not in this alone. We're in this together. Finally, brothers. And and brothers and sisters in Christ here at Cross Point Community Church, we must remember where this is written from. Paul, in jail, had to remind himself of this every single day. This filtration system that he's talking about was something he had to process every single day. Finally, brothers. And then you're thinking we're going to walk through the filters, but before we even do that, I want us to walk to the last uh, phrase in the verse. Why? In these two verses, there are two imperatives, two commands. Think on these things and practice these things. This word, think on these things, this concept of thinking on these things is to meditate. It's not suggestive. It's It's a command from God. God, the Holy Spirit, through His servant, Paul is telling us to meditate on something, to meditate more than just a passing thought. It means to give care and calculated thought to a matter, to think regularly about something, to consider it, to ponder it. In other words, to let one's mind land on a thought and dwell on that thought and bring that thought up regularly. By the way, have you ever considered how many thoughts enter into your mind every day? That thought almost blew a gasket in my mind, (laughs) trying to think on how many thoughts I think during the day. Researchers say that 50,000 to 70,000 thoughts per day between 35 and 48 thoughts per minute. And dudes in this room, we realize that it's much less for us than the ladies in this room. (laughs) Because we regularly go to our nothing box. Now, a fraction of those thoughts, of all of these thoughts, 50 to 70,000 thoughts, there are several of them that are reoccurring. These are thoughts that you think regularly through your day. And what is Paul saying here? Of those thoughts that you think regularly through the day, here's some of them that you need to dynamically think about. This list, it's not an exhaustive list, yet it is an imperative form. So you better think about these things. As you're processing life, think this way. The emphasis of the mind is clearly a reoccurring theme through the New Testament, actually through the whole scriptures, to meditate. 
to set your mind on something, to set your thoughts on something. We're not going to walk through the passages, but it is clearly, clearly a theme through the scriptures. Set your mind on the things that God wants you to think about. Why that? Because as you set your mind on these, as it impacts your heart, it's going to change the way you act. Thoughts change the way you act. As you think a certain way, your actions will follow. This is actually a huge theme through the book of Philippians itself. We've already seen this several times. I want to reach back, though, to a verse that I love in Paul's exhortation to the church of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, you can write that one down if you'd like. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, Paul says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and here it is, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity for Jesus Christ. So when we look at this passage and this imperative that Paul gives us to think on these things, meditate on these things, what are we doing? We're obeying passages over and over again through the New Testament to capture thoughts. Grab that thought and capture it. I don't know how many of you have just sat there sometimes. I do this on occasion. Uh, My mind races all the time, even when I want to (laughs) sleep. Probably many of you are like that. But there'll be times in, when, when the circus is happening at our house and kids are running around and I sit down on the couch and my mind goes to that nothing box. You, you know what I'm talking about. Or after messing, I mean, after, after hanging out with the kids and going to soccer events and sports events and school and church and work and studying and doing all this stuff, I sit down in the car and Hannah and I go on a date. <laughs> and what happens when we get in the car? It's like we're both like this. What just happened? And so for the first 10 minutes sometimes of our dates, nothing is said. Because our, our brains are both about to pop. And then one of us will break the silence sometimes like, babe, what are you thinking about? <laughs> you ever done that? This is one of those passages where Paul's like, hey, hey, what are you thinking about? What filtration system are you using as you think through this life? What ideas are you bringing captive for obedience to Christ? And so let's just simply walk through this filtration system. Paul says, whatever is true. Simply enough, and I'm not going to dwell a lot on each of these. So we're not going to be here for two more hours. Praise God for that, for you that want to get home and eat some lunch. Nonetheless, whatever is true means to meditate on what is truthful. Wow. According to fact, it means what's upright and honest and genuine. It's the opposite of that is don't dwell on things that are deceitful or manipulative or misleading. Don't allow your mind to grasp things that are misleading. What does that drive us to, brothers and sisters in Christ? Where do we find truth? I love what Jesus Christ says in the upper room prior to going to the cross of Calvary. He prays this. High priestly prayer of Jesus Christ He says this, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So if we were to guard our thoughts through truth, what does that dynamically mean for the believer? We are to guard our thoughts through the filter of God's word. Think on things that are true and what is the standard of truth, not what the most popular psychologist says. 
and not what the, your favorite guru says. Where do we find propositional truth, absolute truth? It is in the Word of God. Sanctify them through your truth. Your Word is truth. Paul says whatever is true. He says this, whatever is honorable. This means whatever is respectable, what is noble, worthy. The opposite would be something like this. Don't dwell on the shameful, the disgraceful, the dishonorable. Don't allow your mind to dwell on the things that are disgraceful in Christian ethic. Whatever is just. In other words, meditate on what is equitable, fair, right. Not dwelling on things that are crooked or corrupt. Meditate on what is pure. What is morally set apart, not tainted by evil. Not tainted by unholiness, unrighteousness. A quick time out. What is the prince of the power of the air, the wicked one, trying to do in our lives every single day? Deceive our thinking and make us meditate. Bring things into our life that would cause us to meditate on things that are not holy, not righteous. We'll talk more of that in a minute. He says, what is lovely? Meditate on what is amiable, agreeable, pleasant, or pleasing. The opposite of that would be, don't meditate on things that are offensive, alarming, or distasteful. Whatever is commendable. Meditate on what is admirable and discreetly attractive. Actually, there's an element of attractiveness to this. Modest, attraction, worthy of high rating. Meditate on those things that are worthy of a high rating. Don't just meditate on low things. Meditate on high things. And again, where do we find these high things? We find these high things in the Word of God. We're to meditate on God, His Word, His person, His nature, His attributes, His works and His ways expressed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Meditate on these things that are commendable. You'll notice in the text it goes from transitions from whatever, 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 six of these things to a different framework, to if there is. What is the point there? Essentially now Paul is reaching back into these six virtues and further describing them. Or if you want to look at it this way, he's summarizing them. So how would you summarize those six phrases? There's different ways to look at it. Commentators say different things. I think what he's doing in the last two phrases is going back and summarizing the first six. And what does he say? If there is any excellence, meditate on what is of moral quality. Something that excels in character, not something that is morally subpar or questionable. He says this, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, meditate on what is qualified to bring praise and majesty to a holy God. What is going to put God's glory on, on display? His majesty and splendor on display. Think on that. Okay, in a very practical way. You know how I envisioned this last statement? What would happen if my thoughts were put on display? <laughs> Whoa! Can you imagine that? 
If your thoughts would be put on display, what would happen? Would those thoughts put on display be worthy of the praise of a holy, almighty sustainer of the universe? God. And Paul's saying that filtration system in our minds, what we think about, let these things be worthy of praise for an almighty God. Very simple application is what a powerful filtration system. (laughs) This guard of who we are as seen in our minds. By the way, is this filtration system mentioned in this verse indicative in any way of a natural or unregenerate person? Absolutely not. They cannot think through this same filter. In fact, Satan wants to do everything he can to break down this filter. That same pool I shared about. The major filter. After like six months, you take the top off that thing and you take it off. You're like, no way. How did that get so gummed up? That's exactly what Satan wants in our minds. To have a calloused filter system in our mind. As we process through the things we see around us. The immorality of this world. The injustice of this world. The depravity of this world. As our minds get gummed up, we're to constantly clean that filter through things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. And again, Paul says, think on these things. This is that dynamic imperative that drives this entire verse. Think on these things. Intentionally meditate on these things. This drives us. In my mind, it drives me back to verse 1. This verse that leads all of these imperatives, I believe. Stand firm in the Lord. I mean, I think about this, and I'll bring more application in a minute. There's a group of teens in this room. What's happening in their brain through what Satan is putting before them? This filtration system is constantly compromised. Constantly, they're to go back to, to a clean filter system. And how is all of this going to happen? It's not going to happen on our own resolve. In the first verse it says, stand firm in the Lord. The only way we're going to stand firm is by the grace of an almighty God that gives us grace to constantly analyze our filtration system. All right, he doesn't just stop with filtered thoughts. He goes into filtered actions. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, again, let's start with the primary imperative, the primary command of this passage. Practice these things. I love this. Why? Well, here's why. Because if you look at the prior verses, especially the ones we looked at last week, in everything by prayer and supplication, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In our misguided thinking sometimes, we get this view of someone on their knees or sitting on the couch doing nothing, just waiting. Pray about everything. Well, sure enough, we are to pray about everything, but when we pray about everything, what does God Almighty do in our lives? He tells us through his word to get off our backside and live godly. Don't simply let go and let God. It's trust God and get going in sanctification. And we look at this passage, that's exactly where Paul goes. Pray about everything. Don't be anxious. Guard your thoughts. But realize it doesn't stop with prayers and simple thoughts of godliness. It translates into obedience. And how do we see that obedience? Well, here we are in verse 9. What you have learned 
and received and heard and seen in me. I simply want to part these two at a time because I think the first two have to do with more or less a formal education through Paul's writing. Paul's saying, I've sent you some information. It's like formal writing. And Paul's saying, what you have learned and received, the spiritual insight, the knowledge you mentally gleaned from my writings, the spiritual insight and knowledge I handed on to you, sort of like a baton, I've given it to you. Do those things. But I love it. Because that's not where Paul stopped. Don't just take the writings I gave you and go with them. Go further. And he goes into the next duo. This is more, this, this, this section, these two verses are more than the formal education from his writing. This is the practical education by watching Paul's life. They saw this stuff. We knew when we set up the the context for the book of Philippians, Paul interacted in a very social way with this church. They knew Paul. They had seen Paul. They interacted with this man of God. And Paul's saying, those things, not that I just wrote to you, but the things you saw in me, the things you heard when I proclaimed, things you heard when I preached, the spiritual insights that you gleaned when I preached and hung out with you, do those things. What filter system has God provided for us? The Word of God showing us how to filter our thoughts, but He's also given us examples of godly people in our lives to help guide us and guard us in the path. Do these things, primarily Paul in this passage. Do these things. Again, the imperative is practice these things. Don't just put thought into it. Don't just sit there. Put action to your thought. And then it drives us to this dynamic promise. And the God of peace will be with you. This filtration system of thinking and doing is not meant to overwhelm your life. To make your life miserable. And we have to acknowledge that. It is intended to bring peace into our lives. I mean, we need to get this in our thoughts and minds. Satan doesn't want us to acknowledge this. Even within current evangelicalism and, 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 and godly people that analyze the scriptures, sometimes we see the imperatives of scripture as being those things that, oh, here we go. Oh, dear, here comes more instructions in our lives. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is not the intention of the instructions of the scriptures. You can go all the way back to the first instruction of the Bible. The first blessing that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden came in the form of instruction. Do this for blessing. Why is that important? Because God is not intending through these instructions to make your life miserable. No, no, no. He's he's intending through these instructions to bless you with amazing peace. Peace that you can't even explain. God's gracious commands are not meant to make us miserable. Rather, they are the sphere in which we enjoy God's truest blessings and intentions for his believers, his followers, his peace. If I could reach out to anyone right now in application, I'll tell you who it would be. Teens and young adults in this room right now. Teens, young adults, please, please, please understand this. 
this filtration system that you read about in these verses is not meant to make your lives miserable. It is to allow you to enjoy God's indescribable peace in your life. Please, teens, young adults, never forget this, that God has put these things into your life to provide peace in your life. Satan, as a roaring lion, wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. He wants to destroy everything good about what God's doing in our lives. Satan, through the world around us, is saying this. Teens, listen, please. Teens, young adults, older adults, all of us in this world, Satan is trying to tell us you're cool if you let down your moral walls. You'll be cool if you can kind of bring them down a little bit so you can survive. You're cool if you have no guards over your ear gates and your eye gates. You're cool if you act and dress as loosely and as provocatively as possible. You're cool if you listen to all kinds of music that defies a gospel-transformed life and subtly proclaims in-your-face lyrics to moral purity. You're cool if you embrace that life. You're cool if your language is curt and edgy and explicit and immoral. Satan wants us to believe that. God is saying to all of us, if you want peace, if you want to enjoy the peace that I intended, if you want to drive in that vehicle that's not sputtering and kicking out exhaust everywhere, if you want to enjoy swimming in a pool that's nice and clean, enjoy the peace of God, stand firm and put your filters up. Stand firm with the armor of God. Act godly. Think godly. Stand firm and think on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. As you're thinking this way, doing things that are godly in accordance to God's precious word. I told you this was a very practical sermon this morning. As we stand firm in the Lord, we must embrace God's value system for intended peace. And honestly, we can just speak openly here. What's happening in our minds every single day through this last week? The wrestling match in our minds of fear and anxiety and panic. You know what God's intention for peace is? Trust me. Trust my word. Brings us to this. So what? How is this going to translate into our lives today? As we walk out of these doors, how are we going to walk out any differently than we walked in? So what? I would say let's ask ourselves this question. Ask yourself this question. Have I truly embraced God's value system? Have I truly embraced this? This way of thinking. Processing decisions through what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. When the news is playing pinball with our thoughts and emotions, where will our thoughts be grounded? And I included on there this. Have I truly embraced God's value system in every area of my thoughts and actions? Every area. Don't be content to just change out the air filter and the oil filter and leave a sludged up fuel filter. Every area. Don't be content to change out two of the three filters in the swimming pool and still swim in a slimy, 
pool. Change out all the filters. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we stand firm in the Lord, we must embrace God's value system. Why? For the intended peace and enjoyment of our spiritual walk with Christ. God, that's our prayer today. Through Christ, you have shared with us this thought that there can be an explainable peace and joy. God, we recognize this morning in this very simple text that Satan doesn't want us to think these ways. Satan does not want us to think these ways and then process them into obedience. And I pray today, Father, that you would give us grace. Give us grace through the anxieties of our mind this week, through the battle in our minds, to trust you. Give us grace to filter our thoughts, to bring every thought into captivity for your honor and your glory. In a world that seems to be falling apart, running in all kinds of different directions, hysteria, pandemonium, give us grace to ground our thoughts in the peace of God because of the God of peace. That's our prayer.